This is part two in a talk given by Tom Chesno, Don Huntington, Michael Sherman, and Michael Room. They spoke to a group of Persian Farsi students here at DLI FLC in early 2019. You don't have to listen to part one to understand the stories they're about to tell in part two, but they had some interesting things to say about getting into the military and how DLI has changed since then. It'll give you some good insight into their personalities and what shaped them. Now, to catch you up, Chesno graduated in Persian Farsi in 1968. The other three, that's uh, Huntington, Sherman, and Room, they graduated the same language only 10 years later. Persian Farsi wasn't a well-known language at the time, so military linguists with their training were pretty scarce. Got all that? Now, on with our story. This February was the 40th anniversary of the Shah being toppled in Iran. 2,500 years of monarchy ended in 1979. The Iranian Revolution had started the year before, right when Huntington, Room, and Sherman were at DLI FLC. A year later, near the end of 1979, just a few weeks after the three airmen arrived at Fort Meade to work under Chesno, things got pretty crazy. They really had nothing for us to do at the time. And so they had all this backlog of really old, unimportant stuff they didn't care about. But then things blew up, and... Um, Soon after, we got there in September, and every all hell broke loose in October. Some 60 Americans are now beginning their sixth day of captivity inside the U.S. Embassy in Tehran. Two days earlier, several hundred young people, mainly students at Tehran University, have taken over the embassy. We are not occupiers, they said. We have thrown out the occupiers. But instead of chasing all the Americans out of the compound, the Iranians imprisoned them in a building somewhere on these grounds. They have been hostages ever since. At the beginning of November 1979, revolutionary students in Iran overran the American embassy in Tehran and took 66 U.S. citizens as hostages. It ended up lasting 444 days, the longest hostage situation in U.S. history. Here's Chesno explaining things from his point of view. I was the sole Persian linguist. We had picked up over seven or eight years, we had picked up a couple more Persian linguists, but certainly not enough Persian linguists to cover 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We, had, uh, we wanted to get closer to Iran, perhaps so that we could hear more of what was going on inside of Iran. So the Navy decided to put, it was decided that the Navy would put a ship into the Persian Gulf. Uh, we had a ship called the La Salle that the Navy owned. The LaSalle is the only all-white ship in the, uh, in the, uh, in the U.S. Navy. Uh, we decided that uh, the LaSalle would go up the Gulf and see what she could hear and what she could find. I was called in by a Navy captain, my boss, and he said, I want a <coughs> Navy person, a Navy lingy on that boat. Um, I want to hear what's going on, so go and get a Navy Persian linguist. At that time, the U.S. Navy had no billets for Persian linguists. No one in the Navy at that time was a Persian linguist. Had to go back in, and you don't want to tell a Navy captain no, but in this case I had to say, sir, your Navy doesn't have anyone that we can send. He said, get someone trained immediately, um, but until that time, find somebody to go ride, he probably said the damn boat or something like that. 
Um, I had to go back out, face again young troops, and uh, tell them that uh, since the Navy didn't have any linguists, and these guys, faithful to the end, they said, what do you mean we have to go? They said, uh, <laughs> the, the Navy has a linguist. He was in class with us, and they ratted him out. There was a Navy <laughs> linguist that had been in their class. Uh, as he finished his course here at Monterey, they called him in to give him orders, and they said, we're sorry, we made a mistake, there was something wrong in the system, the Navy has no slots for Persian billets, uh, to make that up to you, if you will extend in the Navy by a year, we will give you another year of school, pick your language. Uh, the gentleman picked French, uh, and he was here taking French uh, while the Navy was looking for, you know, trying to come up with a language. These guys were very helpful to the Navy by telling them that. But it was going to take us a year to recover from that. So what we did is we, we, we thought, well, any job that the Navy can do, the Air Force can do. I'm not so sure of that. But we, we, took, we took one of our airmen. Uh, one of the gentlemen here was the first to raise his hand to say, I'll go out. We told him that he would be home in three to six weeks, no more than that. We placed him on board the LaSalle and off and up into the Persian Gulf the LaSalle went. Michael Room was the gentleman that volunteered to go on that deployment. Here he is talking about his time with the Navy. We got that, the hostage thing. Friday night, we went to a party. We came back. One of the few nights we actually had February some time. February 3rd. February, January, uh, November 3rd. November 3rd. November 3rd. Oh, no, don't tell and story. We'll only tell part of it. <laughs> so 7 o'clock in the morning, Mike and I, slightly hungover, get a phone call that said, um, you guys have got to come into work. Something has happened. Mike and I went in, and then we were told the hostages were taken. And, and four days later, I was on an airplane for the Persian Gulf. Um, I didn't realize it was that soon. Yeah, it was like Tuesday. This was Saturday and Tuesday. I left. Tom asked me if I would go, and it was going to be a 30 to 60 day TDY. And there were some facts he got wrong. It was, I was out there 238 straight days. <laughs> yep, you heard that right. 238 straight days on a ship in the Persian Gulf. While Room was in Navy heaven, Sherman and Huntington were back at Fort Meade analyzing the data that Room was gathering. Chesno, meanwhile, was trying to get some relief for Room. Then, um, after Michael had been up there for uh, his three to six weeks were up, about six months later, and uh, <laughs> as his ship was coming out of the Gulf, um, I went in to see the Navy captain again, and I said, sir, this is unfortunate. Uh, we now have a highly trained linguist. Um, this is less than a year, or a little bit more than a year after leaving here. We have a highly trained linguist who is now coming out of the Persian Gulf uh, because the LaSalle is being pulled out. I didn't know Navy jargon, and on that day, at that time, I was taught the word cross-deck. And they said that they would, uh, he would be cross-decked, which meant if the LaSalle was coming out of the Gulf, we were going to put another ship into the Gulf, Rather than Michael go on to shore and, and, and get, some, uh, get some time on firm ground, they moved him over to the other ship, and he went right back up the Gulf where he had left off before. I saw no land. There was not one opportunity to be cross-decked because there were, we always had the LaSalle, the galloping ghost of the Arabian coast, and one frigate or destroyer or something with us. And every time the LaSalle would pull into Bahrain to refuel, they would say, oh, no, not you. They're going to drink beer, not you. And uh, I learned what a, a bosun's chair was. Navy people know what a bosun's chair is? Um, what is it? They string a line between two ships and, and a chair. 
they pull you across in this chair, and you go underwater a lot. And the ships are The ships down. come together, they go down, and there's a wave, and you're underwater. Um, and the other times, it, it was via helicopter. And it was like, don't touch things, you'll be electrocuted, you'll die. So, and that's all I did. I learned how to, for three days in a typhoon in the Indian Ocean, eat nothing but canned ravioli and peanut butter sandwiches um, because they couldn't cook food. Michael was asked to fly each day. We would put a helicopter up a couple times a week to go and see how close we could get to Iran so we could pick up more communications. As we went up there, um, it became a target-rich environment, as they say. There was an opportunity to hear things. I went to the Air Force on Michael's behalf, and I said, we have this young man who is flying missions now. He goes up in the helicopter every day. I need to get him flight pay. And the Air Force said, no, he's not flight qualified, so he can't have flight pay. And I said, but, but he's flying every day. And they said, no, he's not. No. So uh, they would deny it, and we weren't able to get flight pay. I think we eventually got something worked out. After eight months of working with the Navy in the Persian Gulf, Room came back and Huntington took his place. Here's Room talking about one of his few experiences being on land. My greatest memory is when I was cross-decked once, the ship I was on, the Richard E. Byrd, was leaving the Gulf, and I had to hook up with another ship in the port of Djibouti. And uh, they left me there. Literally, <laughs> the ship stopped in Djibouti, I got off with my duffel bag, and they sailed off. And I waited there for 10 hours for another ship to come in and pick me up. Just I love this place, it's like 197 degrees. And, and I remember I was dying, there was a guy coming by and selling Cokes, out of a, you know, carrying a little styrofoam thing. And, and I bought a Coke from him, I tried to drink it, and it was Hot. room temperature. I mean, it was a 197 degree Coke. And I said, I can do this. And I put it down, and he came over, saw I wasn't drinking it, picked it up, took another half-empty bottle out of his little styrofoam container, filled it up, put a cap back on, and stuck it in his. So I drank 17 generations of Djibouti backwash. After their four years in the military, Sherman and Huntington went back to their civilian lives. Room, though, he took a different path. It was very good for me because I think, unlike most of the, the Persian linguists who had ever come before us, I actually got to use the language uh, and yeah. use it and learn it effectively so that I was actually, actually pretty good at it. We all were, um, much to our own surprise. And... Uh, Sufficient to the point that when I was getting out of the Air Force, I got this mysterious phone call about four months before I got out, and they just said, hey, would you like to go to Afghanistan? <laughs> I was 22 years old. I was like, sure. I've been to the Persian Gulf. How much worse can it be? And uh, I found out um, <laughs> exactly how much worse it could be. Um, and I got out of the Air Force on a Saturday and showed up at NSA on Monday, and seven weeks later, I was in Kabul, Afghanistan. And uh, this was a, a year and a half after the Russians had invaded. And so there was you know, a little bit of a conflict going on there. 
And I spent 13 months there. And it started a long career of, you know, unlike Tom, I spent almost my entire career overseas, first with NSA and then with somebody else. <laughs> and um, I, of those 34 years, I, I retired four years ago. Of those 34 years that I spent with the government, I lit, was in the United States for two of them. When I, the last time, when I retired in 2014, I had not lived in the United States since 1992. And I had the opportunity to, to learn several more languages, and I got to visit other such garden spots as Somalia, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Pakistan, Lebanon, Algeria, Tunisia, hey. Kuwait, um, El Salvador. Um, every once in a while, they would, th oh, and 27 months in that Eden known as Mosul, Iraq. Um, so uh, it was a good career, but it was, it was, it was here at DLI that started me off. Chesno continued his career as a linguist, and it took him to some interesting places. He was tasked with working with a special counsel to then-President Ronald Reagan when there was an investigation into the Iran-Contra affair in the mid-'80s. I think I, I, when, when I told you I had gone to work as an independent counsel for the president, uh, the, most, uh, the, the best thing that happened in all of that is uh, sooner or later, <laughs> if you work for the president, um, even as good a man as President Reagan was, uh, you're going to make a mistake. Um, and I made that mistake, and President Reagan uh, let me know that I had done something that I shouldn't have done. Um, and then he, he dressed you out. Once you have been dressed out by, I mean, it made the rest of my career wonderful, because once you've been dressed out by the President of the United States, the rest of your bosses don't mean anything. It's like, take your best, take your best shot, you know, I've heard it from, from higher up the line. With all that experience under their belt, Room and Chesno had some good advice to pass on to the DLI student. I mean, that's the best way to learn. It was like we were just thrown into the fire and all of a sudden working a lot of hours and exposed mm -hmm. to Nights a lot. And, and we did have the advantage. We worked with some really good civilian linguists. You know, Tom was one. Captain America was the other, which is our nickname for the guy we didn't like very much. Um, <laughs> and we learned a lot from sitting side saddle with them. But, you know, we could only have, they were too busy to really help us. It was to... We had to learn it on our own, so it was learning a lot of new words every day. Mm -hmm. And uh, what was our rule of thumb? You see the word ten times until you finally remember it? Or is yeah. it seven times, something like that. Until you have to stop looking it up in the dictionary. They gave us a dictionary. You forgot about that part. Yeah, they gave us, they a, gave dictionary. us a dictionary. Terrible. The world's worst dictionary. This little hyem that's about, it's got seven words in it. I mean, It was in this funny script-like thing. And it was handed <laughs> down. It, you know, each one we had was, had you know, been through like four generations of linguists and little penciled notes in it. And I've still got mine. I stole mm -hmm. it when I left. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, it was, um, you know, one of the things I've always said about language is th the first thing to do is throw away your flashcards. Absolutely get rid of them. Get rid of this one-to-one -one translation of a word in your head. Learn concepts. Um, don't learn words. As soon as you start translating in your head, you're three words behind the guy you're trying to do. Um, you'll never do it. Think concepts. And so that was the, one of the best things we ever did. You learned sentences. You learned ideas. You didn't learn words. Your training will never, never stop. 
Uh, there's a lot of words out there in this language, and you need to learn every nuance of those words. You need to know what they look like when they're abbreviated, when they're, uh, when they're cut short in a conversation. Uh, the best non-native linguist that I've ever seen um, in, uh, uh, that has, uh, he did not go through school here. I'm not sure where, maybe Les did get his training here. I'm not sure. Uh, 84-year-old man, still working for the government, still works at NSA, and every morning he has 10 words taped to his shaving mirror. And he is still, at the age of 80, learning uh, to, to, to use his dictionary and to go over his words. The other thing you have to learn is the culture of the country that you're going to be working with the people that you're going to be working for, um, whether they happen to be um, allied um, Iranians with whom we deal, who live in our country, um, or whether they happen to be um, part of the, of the current regime in Iran. So you, not, you have to know the culture. Don't think like an American when you are dealing with people who are not um, born and raised in this country and, and trained with our cultural background and diversity. Um, I don't care how much Persian you learn here, I think the thing you're going to learn is friendship among classmates and classmates that were 10 years apart. Um, we, we picked up, I mean, we hadn't seen each other, some of us, for 20 years. And um, first, first time at the airport um, the other day when we all got in, we picked up where we left off 20 years ago. So it's, uh, it's just been wonderful.